Um, we're going to be uh, in, the, in the book of John, chapter 21 today, if you want to uh, open up there. Um, how many people have ever been to St. Patrick's Cathedral in uh, Cathedral, New York City? Wow, good, a good bunch of you. So, you may know uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral took about 20 years to build. It was completed in 1888, and through the early 1900s, it had a bunch of uh, renovations and repairs and additions uh, till it became the complex that it is today. It's a very important place for not just American Catholics, but for Catholics around the world. It's an important monument, tourist attraction. I'm going to be in New York City this winter, and I hope I get a chance to see it. But by the turn of the last century, it was literally falling apart. Uh, they had to close the sidewalk. They were finding pieces of it inside and outside. Uh, the, the place was literally falling down upon itself. And so this giant renovation project began to take place there in an effort to completely restore the cathedral. And if you look up pictures of this online, you'll see the whole, the whole complex was covered in scaffolding, uh, inside and out. They, they restored the thing every, from everything, uh, from structural uh, beams to artwork hanging on the walls that was retouched. Every, it was cleaned inside and out. They dug a two-mile shaft into the earth uh, to use ge geothermal uh, heating and cooling, <laughs> brand new HVAC system that heats and cools um, that building from way deep under the island of Manhattan. Crazy, crazy project that was undertaken. Um, it was very costly, very costly. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And all for one reason, and that was to keep that building from falling over <laughs> and to hopefully make it last another hundred years or so. Though billed as a restoration, if you look at the scope and you look at some of the pictures, it becomes pretty clear that it was more like a transformation. It's more like a brand new building that they have there. And the point of our Bible passage today, I think has some connection with what we've seen take place there in New York City. So today we're going to read about Jesus' last interaction with Peter, who is one of his chief disciples. Uh, but it also is the case that Peter was one of Jesus' chief betrayers. Unlike Judas, the betrayer, Peter actually loved Jesus and loved the other disciples and seemed to want the best for him, but he just didn't know how to get it. And so we see Peter often in the Gospels taking matters into his own hands all the time instead of just trusting Jesus and obeying. And at the moment of his greatest trial, Peter fell apart. He fell apart. He crumbled into pieces. He sold Jesus out. And if you remember his great despair after the third denial of Christ, he, he literally fell apart. And they were, I would assume, finding pieces of Peter all over the place in the days that followed. How could he ever be restored? 
So maybe you felt that way in your life at different times. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. Maybe it's because of a, a sin or an ongoing sin that you struggle with. Or maybe it's just simply because of a deep failure that you regret. But what we get to celebrate today is one of the greatest restoration projects in all of history, and that is what the scriptures often refer to as the restoration of Peter. And so if you could stand, if you're able, we're going to read from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If we want to follow a risen Jesus, if we want to follow the risen Jesus through our failures, whether these are just uh, failures of behavior, failures of effort, or if it is deep sin, if we want to be restored, what I'm suggesting is we have to be prepared for something more like transformation. We don't just need a little tweak and a little polish. (laughs) We need something new and fresh to get us to where we want to go. So to understand what Jesus desires to do in our hearts along those lines, whether we are claiming to be followers of Jesus today or not, we have to recognize that Jesus really is offering true transformation to all people. So in exploring this dynamic through this passage today, we're just going to talk about three three things. We're going to talk about Peter's obstacle. We're going to talk about Peter's obligation. And we're going to talk about Peter's ordeal. His obstacle, his obligation, and his ordeal. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to give us guidance today as we uh, look at your word together. We pray that uh, my words would be your words, uh, that you would give discernment to my brothers and sisters here today so that they, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, would be able to sort out in their own hearts and minds how this passage applies to them and to this church. We trust that you will do that because we believe the same Spirit that is in me is in them, and we know you can do it through his strength and power. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
We have to understand the importance of this conversation between Jesus and Peter. This is the last recorded conversation between Jesus and another person in the book of John as the book of John is winding rapidly to a close in chapter 21. So we need to understand a little bit about the relationship that Jesus and Peter had. We've already touched on it a little bit. But for the most part, you know, Peter gets a really bad rap, right? Whenever we tend to talk about Peter, at least I've noticed, you know, in the last decade or two, we're always kind of busting on Peter for his failures. Uh, And he had some great failures, right? Yes, you have to talk back to me in this church, okay? (laughs) Peter had some failures, right? Yes. Well, why are you paying attention to Peter's failures all the time, okay? Peter did some great things. Peter stepped out of a boat onto the ocean to follow Jesus. You remember that? All right, everybody's like, well, he did sink. Well, yeah, but he stepped out of the boat. Okay, think about that, right? When nobody knew, when everybody was confused about who Jesus was and Jesus got his disciples around him and he said, who do you say that I am, Peter? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He got it right. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, he totally nailed it. And you'll say, well, yeah, but then right after that, he, you know, he, he tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross or whatever, and Jesus called him Satan. Okay, you know, he messed up, but he knew who Jesus was. Peter was a loyal follower of Christ. And we ought to acknowledge the importance of that faithfulness. But there was a point where Peter's fear of harm and loss overcame him. There was a point where Peter saw how following Jesus was going to hurt him. Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you've probably felt the nearness of that same sentiment in your own life. There have probably been times in your life where you thought, man, following Jesus right now is not going to be good for me. For most of us in the Western world, they're usually social interactions, right? Following Jesus right now is going to be embarrassing for me. That's typically how Christians in the West experience it. But around the world, people are saying, man, following Jesus right now means my kids being taken away from me and me maybe being thrown in jail or killed, okay? So there's a spectrum of experiences that Christians have had through the ages and what it means to follow Christ. And here in this moment, Peter gets it, right? As Jesus is betrayed and he's taken away, Peter denied Christ three times. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. You have the wrong guy. I wasn't with him. He betrayed Jesus, and in many ways, we might say he kind of showed his true colors. He kind of showed his real orientation to Jesus. He wasn't willing to be known as one who followed Christ. What a disgrace, right? What a a sad ending to a difficult story that the chief disciple of Jesus would just turn away. I don't know the man. How could this disgrace be lifted? And that's a valid question for us. How can we ever make it right? Whatever it is. And and this is something that all, all people struggle with. Especially, man, once you, once you get up into your 40s and you got some mileage and you know people who got some mileage and you actually pay attention to what they're saying to you in their lives, everybody has an it. 
Everybody has a disgrace. Everybody has a failure or everybody has some kind of deep sin they've been living with and fighting against and they don't know how to live with it. They don't know how to get over it. It is part of our human condition. How do we get over these great obstacles? And that, that must have been going through Peter's mind all those days that they were waiting for Jesus. Well, they weren't really waiting for him. That, that uh, in Jesus' absence, you know, Peter must be saying, how am I ever going to get over this? How, how can I ever live with myself for what I did to Jesus, the teacher, my Lord? And so Jesus appears to him, and he says to him three times, do you love me? <laughs> do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I'm sure that Peter is thinking in that moment the same thing that many of us might have been thinking. How could you even talk to someone who had betrayed you so deeply? How could you even be in the presence of someone who has betrayed you so deeply? That's a real obstacle to relationship, if you think about it, right? That's a real obstacle to being able to share yourself or your life with someone. If you've been betrayed at that level, why even have a conversation? Why even be in the same room? And so we learn here that what is an obstacle for us is no obstacle for Jesus. This is not an obstacle for the Lord. Jesus says to Peter, do you really love me? And all Peter can say in the end is, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I, I interpret that to say, like, Jesus, you know how I love you. You know how, how I waver. You, you understand how I feel. You know my heart. You know my inmost being. And this is a real shift for Peter. This is a real change for Peter. Peter doesn't say, you know that I love you and I'll never leave you again. <laughs> He'll say, but let's forget about that denial thing uh, from a few days ago. I'm never going to deny you again, Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't rest on his own laurels because he has none. The foundation has been removed. And Peter knows all he can say to Jesus is, Jesus, you know what kind of guy I am. You know what I'm capable of in both directions. <laughs> you know, Lord. And I think that this new humility and peace and contentment that we see in Peter is to be celebrated by the church. Look at this man. You, Jesus, you know. <laughs> He's just like, you know. He gets it. What he gets is that his faith is not about his ability. His faith is about the grace of the Lord Jesus. And what we see in this narrative, perhaps more than in any other narrative in Scripture, is that the Christian life is not about me holding on to Christianity. It's about Christ holding on to me. That's the core of my faith. The core of my faith is not my performance of the faith. The core of my faith is Jesus' performance on my behalf and how he holds on to me despite my constant Strain. How could you sing any of the songs we sang today if you believed otherwise? Right? We're, we're up here talking about being sinners and needing redemption and stuff. <laughs> Is that true or not? Or have you come in today saying, I've really performed the Christian faith well this week, you know? No, no. 
we're, Pastor Mark taught me this when he's probably said it to you, we're just beggars trying to show other beggars where to buy bread, right? And you show up and the bread's free. Wow! You know, it gets better and better. Many have noted here that perhaps Peter's greatest sin was that he depended too much on himself and his ability. But when we realize it's, it's not our ability that saves us or keeps us, we get a whole new view of the world and the faith. So Jesus is saying that this obstacle of Peter's that we're talking about is really no obstacle at all. We just have to accept the fact that what Jesus wants to do is transform us. He wants to transform us into something new, and so we may have to let go of the old thing. We may have to let go of the old insistence on our way. We may have to let go of behaviors, yes. Because this kind of forgiveness isn't just restorative, it's transformative. And you have to note, as many commentators have, that Peter's threefold denial, I don't know the man, I don't know the man, I don't know the man, leave me alone, <laughs> is here reversed by Jesus' threefold acceptance and command. Do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? As if to say to Peter, you can, I, I can outdo your sin with my grace. I can outdo your failures with my success. Think about what this means for a community that is led by the light of Christ. Think about what this means for people as you are led in this church by the light of Christ. Think about what this means for the kinds of leaders you want over you as you are led in the light of Christ. If I'm going to live in the kind of community that is seeking to cover over disgrace with grace, I need transformation because I can't do that. Amen? Okay? So that's the obstacle that we have to recognize as present in this passage. The second thing we have to recognize is taking place here is the obligation. Because I know as soon as I said it's not about your ability, it's about Jesus' ability, some of you were like, well, does that mean we don't have to do anything? <laughs> right? Does that mean we can just go out there and sin all we want? No, that's not what it means. Okay? Don't be absurd. Jesus's com- Jesus commands Peter to do what? Feed the sheep. He says there is something you have to do. You have to feed the sheep. You have to take care of these people. So this consistent theme is revealed here that the degree to which people understand the grace of Jesus will be the degree to which they are willing to show grace to others who follow Jesus. See the the correlation? The, the, The degree to which you get grace is the degree to which you show grace. And Jesus says, Peter, now you know how it feels to be restored And your job is to be about this work with these sheep, which I'm leaving you with. Peter might say, I'm not good at that, (laughs) right? Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if you're not good at it. It's not about you. It's not about your ability to be good at it. I'm just telling you, you got to be with these people, okay? That's the essence of the church, This command to Peter is the essence and core of what it means to be a Christian community. Jesus says to Peter, listen, if you get grace, you have to spread that grace now. You have to be with others and show them how to live this life, how to walk this path. 
So Jesus ushers Peter into this new frontier of forgiveness and the covering over of disgrace. And then he gives him this command and obligation to love and serve others, to be part of spreading this new understanding of grace. Jesus is not preoccupied with Peter's failure. He's not preoccupied either with Peter being seen as some great leader. Like, let's come up with a plan to make sure everybody's going to do what you say now, Peter. <laughs> you know, let's make you look good now. It's not about that. Jesus is preoccupied with making sure that Peter sees his responsibility to Jesus being lived out in the community. He says, you're forgiven, your grace is covered over, and now your job is to forgive and cover over the sin of others in this community. There's no following Jesus without walking in the bonds of love with other Christians in community. It's not possible. It's not possible. To say that you love Jesus, but don't, don't think or much or care much about other Christians makes no sense. You know that in the scriptures, the church is often called the bride of Christ. And this language speaks to the unity and the oneness between Jesus and his people. It's used to talk about the unbreakable relational bond that Jesus has with those whose sin he has covered over with grace. And what is implied here is if that someone were to have the perspective, which you've heard a lot, that I, you know, I think Jesus is great, but I can't stand his people is essentially say, I like that guy, but I can't stand his wife. <laughs> right? Now, I'm sure you have that experience. And I'm sure some of you are like, well, I like her, but man, he is a pain. Right? Everybody has relationships like that, if we can be honest. But you can't expect to have too deep a relationship with that person if that's how you feel. You just can't expect that. So you, you could be friends with someone and say, yeah, you're okay, but your spouse is crazy. <laughs> and if you choose to keep that to yourself, you'll just sort of have a natural distance with that person. Like, I can only spend so much time with him, you know. But if you choose to say it out loud, like, I like you, but your wife is out of her mind, guess what's going to happen to that relationship? It's going to end, Right? You can't be surprised if the person says to you, well, this relationship isn't going to work. <laughs> because a husband and wife are one. They're a unit. You can't get one fully without getting the other. So if there's a problem, we need a transformation. If you have a problem with the people of God, if you have a problem with your brothers and sisters to whom you've made vows in this church, and there's a problem, you don't need just a restoration. You need a transformation. Because you're not going to get the relationship that Jesus is talking about unless you're willing to die to yourself in these moments. You cannot expect to have the fullness 
of Christian community in relationship without this kind of suffering. It's exactly what Jesus is calling Peter to here. He says, feed my sheep. And everybody at that time knew that sheep were stanky and (laughs) ill-tempered. That's all of us. That's all of us. So to follow Jesus in a lifestyle of transformation, we are obligated to be open to an experience of grace unlike we normally see and experience in our lives. We will have to get used to people who may appear to be worldly failures, leading us and serving us courageously. We may have to be comfortable with people who lead in the way of Jesus, though not in the way of CEOs and social media influencers, coaches. We need to be open to follow those who don't appear to have worldly success, which means we're kind of living in two worlds all the time as a church. We're to be, live, we're to be filled with a grace model of forgiveness and commitment to accepting each other and staying together as best we can as long as we claim to follow Jesus. So instead of judging, instead of thinking about how much you don't like that other person, pray. Pray for transformation. Look for how Jesus has not only covered over your sin and disgrace and failure, but how he has looked over that other person's sin and grace and disgrace and failure. And find that connection and thereby find your family. That is how the church of Christ is to be in the world. Not because we all like the same stuff or listen to the same music or have the same socioeconomic status or anything like that, but because we all have the same Savior who has covered over our disgrace and failure. That's the obligation that we receive from Christ in Peter's restoration slash transformation, okay? So you may be thinking, man, that just took a turn. That's kind of a bummer, (laughs) right? Is everything so hard all the time? Well, kind of, okay? Uh, I see lots of families out there. I know many of the families here. I have a big family. Uh, do I love my family? Yes. Would I throw myself on the, on the train tracks for my family? Yes. Is having a family easy? No, it's terribly hard. It's gut-wrenchingly hard, especially as they become adults. And, and every, every older parent that I've spoken to who have adult children has said to me, Oh, it just gets harder and harder and harder. I'm like, what? We're, we're out of diapers, you know? Like, they're driving themselves around. It's easier, right? And they're like, nope, just keeps getting harder. Like, they're not even in your house. How's it hard? But I got to believe them because what they've been telling me all along has been true, <laughs> okay? There is a degree to which our faithful living of the Christian life is just going to be really hard, If you've joined a church to expect it to be easy, you're wrong, you're mistaken, and you have to wake up. Because the third thing we have to talk about is the ordeal that Peter has to face and that Jesus includes, just bakes right into his restoration of Peter. Jesus spells out the ordeal that he will go through. 
The ideal of this grace-filled life that is based on our own uh, experience of having our sins covered over by the grace of Christ, that ideal quickly is tested once you enter a church. And what we say at New City Fellowship is uh, once the ideal becomes an ordeal, you're looking for a new deal. (laughs) So I have to say to people, like, are you just looking for a new deal right now because this is hard, or are you really led in this direction, right? Once the ideal becomes an ordeal, we want a new deal. I have to love that person? Sorry, can't do it. I have to show grace to that person? Sorry, I'm going to withhold grace in this moment. (laughs) And we experience this, we behave this way, all of us, because usually we have either not been told the truth about the reality, or we have just kind of tucked the truth away and we're distracted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We either haven't been told the truth or we're ignoring the truth because we've been distracted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just remember that. Maybe we had the wrong ideal. (laughs) But Jesus gives Peter the truth here. Okay, he says in verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John adds in at the end of that, he says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So John is writing decades after the events. He knows what Jesus was talking about because John knows how Peter was martyred for the faith. Even though everybody else is scratching their heads at the time of this narrative, what John sees is that Jesus was using figurative language to describe how Peter would suffer as he lived this grace-filled life with the rest of the sheep. The service he would offer in recognition of the grace he was given among the sheep of God, the church, would ultimately result in his death and suffering. Uh, and, and John says, and this was the way he was to glorify God in his death. Okay? Contrary to what we have heard through history and even modern sort of pop Christianity, the goal of our faith is not to enjoy the finest things that the world has to offer to us. The goal of our faith is not to be occupying like the highest levels of cultural acceptance and leadership. The goal of our faith is not to just fully exploit people and resources and places in order to get the most out of everything right now. Nor is the goal of our Christian life to have no relational problems in our church. (laughs) Will churches experience real peace together as a family? Of course they will, Lord willing. Will Christians occupy high levels of cultural authority? Yeah, we see that happen. Will Christians be wealthy and enjoy all the fruit of that wealth? Absolutely. But these things are in no way, shape, or form to be our goals as a church. Jesus tells us that we all, as we work together to live out the grace of Jesus in our lives, we will suffer. He promises it to us. 
we will all face the ordeal. No matter the degree to which we experience peace and wealth and all those things in our Christian lives, we will all experience the ordeal. Just like families, no matter how successful the families are, will experience the ordeal of having children slam a door in your face and walk away from you. And if you stand there and go, nobody ever told me this would happen. (laughs) Most people would say, "Uh, were you listening? (laughs) We are required as part of this ordeal to die to ourselves. To show self-control when self-indulgence seems like the best way forward. To choose not to be offended when that person says the same annoying thing that they've said time and time again and you've told them it's offensive. (laughs) To choose not to be offended. To give up power when it seems like you having the power is the obvious choice. I'm the smartest, most experienced, biggest bank account, most whatever. But instead to lay that down and say, you know what? I, I, I don't know how God's going to use this other person, but it appears that he's trying to use this other person. So I'm going to fall back. That can create an ordeal for you because you watch that person screw up and you're like, I could do it so much better. Not in Jesus' economy, you can't. Right? These are not easy choices. But if you follow Christ, these will be the choices. These will be the ordeals that we face. It's not that we go forth and just seek suffering for suffering's sake. No, that's not what we're talking about. What it's saying is that following Christ will present us with ordeals. And these ordeals will deepen our dependence on him. And as our dependence on him is deepened, we'll see in more and more how much grace he has to lavish upon us. And we will be restful people, even in the midst of suffering. This is confusing when literally everywhere we look, we are told that we ought to be served, that we ought to have the best, that we ought to have the most, that things ought to go smoothly, that everything ought to work all right wherever we go. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of social media, you know, unless people are ranting about something, but it's just like, look how great my day is, you know? Look how this worked out. Look how wonderful this meal is, you know? Everywhere we go, we're just constantly told, like, things work out great for us. It, and they will work out great for you if you do this thing. And Jesus says, eh, it's not really going to feel like that. <laughs> Jesus says, "Nah, people are going to lead you around. You're not going to have any control over yourself or what you want to do. And uh, in the end, you'll glorify me in it. The Catholic missionary and theologian, Henri Nouwen, puts it this way. He says, to the outsider... Much Christian behavior seems to be naive and impractical. Think about that. To the outsider, and more and more to insiders in the church, Christian behavior seems to be naive and impractical. 
He says, the outsider understandably believes that anyone who feels attracted to suffering and pain and who desires to humble himself to a position of servanthood cannot be taken seriously. That is how the world views the church. And that is often how the church views itself. You can't take people seriously if they're serving. He closes and he says this, Radical servanthood does not make sense unless we introduce a new level of understanding and see it as the way to encounter God himself. Humility and sacrifice. He says, To be humble and persecuted cannot be desired unless we find God in humility and persecution. Do you get that? To be humbled and persecuted cannot be desired unless we can find God in humility and persecution. This is the heart of what Jesus was trying to show Peter in that moment. In this new economy of spirituality, the greatest expression of love for God would be teaching and serving in the way of Jesus at cost to self. That's the greatest expression. The reward? Continual transformation and a deeper knowledge of the love of Christ, which brings a deeper peace and contentment, which creates this durable, flexible soul that can survive the challenges of these relational problems and can survive the challenges that are offered to us by this world. So, St. Patrick's is falling over. There's junk all over the sidewalk. People are picking up pieces and throwing them in the trash can. Do we restore it to its former glory? Or do we transform it so that it can stand the test of time and pressure? We, tra- we want transformation. That's what we want. I don't want the old Chris cannot perform the tasks that Jesus has, have, has given me to perform in this new community. I have to be transformed. And by the way, the community continues to grow. And new people come with new problems and new personalities that grate against my personality. But they're forgiven and loved by Jesus. And so he says to me, what are you going to do, Chris? <laughs> And so I say to you, what are you going to do, Grace Church? I don't know, more than half of you. This church has grown and changed so much since I've been gone. How are you going to be transformed and transformed and transformed in order to live and love each other in grace as Jesus is commanding us to do here unless you be transformed? Grace. Grace. He didn't restore Peter. He transformed Peter. That's what I want and need, and I hope that's what you want and need, Grace Church. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help now to give us a vision for what it looks like to be transformed afresh, even daily, so that we may serve each other and love one another in the way of Christ. We need your help to do that. 
We need the work of the Spirit in our lives. We need you to give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, new hands and feet for working. Lord, we trust you will do it, and we pray you will do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.